0: Welcome back, dear listeners, to Animal Communications Part 2 with Tracy Pierce. Tracy lives in Colorado and has been studying animal communication since 2010. She's able to work with both domestic animals and wildlife. I had the opportunity to sit down with her and really dig deep into what her experience actually is as an animal communicator. Gather in and welcome Tracy to Deep Spinach. Welcome Tracy to our show Deep Spinach. It's an honor to have you on the show. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to work so closely with animals. What was your earliest indication that you had a special ability to communicate with the animals?
1: Well, I know I had the ability to do this when I was a child. However, I had some pretty major trauma happen to me when I was 10 years old and that shut down a lot of things and that included the, my ability to communicate with animals. The ability really started to, let's call it, reawaken in my late 30s. And at that time, I was doing a lot of meditation and other spiritual practices that were focused on opening the third eye energy center. And as it happened, at that same time, one of our cats became very ill and kept taking her to the vet. And they just couldn't figure out what was wrong with her on a physical level. And that all kind of happened about the same time. So not too long after that, we had done another trip to the vet. And again, they just couldn't tell us what was going on. I happened to meet an animal communicator at a meditation retreat that I had gone to and ended up doing some sessions with her. And it was largely around our cat's illness. And it was during those first few sessions where I was the client and I started to have all these memories of being able to talk to animals when I was a kid. I was like, oh, wow, i totally forgotten about that. And it just felt so familiar that it reignited uh, this interest to communicate with animals. And from there, I really, I just studied and I practiced. And I started to remember even more in my childhood about my connections with animals and having conversations with them when I was a little kid. Learning animal communication was more about remembering or reawakening this part of myself that had become dormant rather than learning something new.
0: Speaking with a a couple of other people, I had heard uh, that sometimes the abilities actually come out of trauma, but for you, it was literally a more natural process as a child. It just, it was something that you were born with. Is that correct? Correct.
1: Yeah, I think so. Like, I, I don't have any memory as a child of learning how to do it. It was more just me kind of like always going blah 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 to my cat over here and and the dogs and and all that. So yeah, I I don't remember learning it as a child. It was just something I did. So, have,
0: so it sounds like you've always had an idea of how this gift works. So that um, and I'm not sure if you're if you also understand the mechanism that actually allows it to occur.
1: Well, when I was a kid, I never questioned how it worked. I I, I I, don't know what the mechanism was when I was a kid. I just did it. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember telling anyone else that I could do it. Like I didn't remember talking to people about it. It was just something I did without thinking about it. As I've learned more, I I found that there's a lot of kids that do have this ability to see beyond the physical world. But again, as many of us do, as we get older, we either consciously or unconsciously shut down these abilities because either they're not socially acceptable or we have a traumatic incident happen that makes it feel like it's safer to, you know, avoid those realms. So what allowed me to access animal communication as as an adult was my own willingness to look beyond just the physical world for answers. I also felt very dissatisfied with the answers that typically came from the physical world, for instance, with vets and also Western medical doctors. I'd had too many instances with illness in my own body and some with my animal friends as well, where I wasn't getting the answers that I felt like I needed from those professionals. And I guess it was just sort of an intuitive hit that I felt directed to look outside of what people normally focus on in the physical realm. It really was those third eye meditations and practices that started to kind of reawaken that bit that led me to believe that I could do this. So Part of it also was I had to go back and kind of look at the trauma that had happened to me when I was younger and process that through. Because when we have unprocessed trauma, it can really block us or make make us question our own psychic abilities. So for me, it was really important to sort through those things. If there's a mechanism, so to say, of how it works, at least for me, I kind of look at it as threefold, where... I had to believe that I could do it, and then second of all, actually do the work to to study and practice it, as well as process the old trauma.
0: As you were developing this, did you have a mentor that helped guide you through the process of of reawakening this ability?
1: Well, I didn't have a human mentor at first. I, I have taken on one in the last few years. In the beginning, it was literally the animals who were my mentors. And in fact, they really insisted upon this. If I look back, it really was the animals who directed my my whole course of study in animal communication, at least in the beginning. I didn't start doing these practices because I wanted to become a professional animal communicator. I really simply just wanted to learn how to connect with my own animals better at that time. In fact, it wasn't until my animal friends told me that they thought I should start offering animal communication sessions to the public that this idea even occurred to me to become a professional animal communicator. Mm-hmm. So today I still look to the animals for guidance about any new direction I'm kind of thinking about taking in this realm. I feel that my purpose in doing this work is really about giving a voice to the animals. So I like to kind of consult with them about what they think the direction should be or what they think the best route might be, even though that might sound pretty strange. (laughs) So my three biggest animal mentors were actually uh, the three cats that we had at the time when I first started. And all three of those cats ended up passing away within the first two to three years that I was studying animal communication. It actually ended up being a blessing because each one of them ended up teaching me something different about death and showed me a lot through their own transitions back into the spirit world. And this is one of the reasons that uh, animal end of life death, dying and grieving is actually one of the primary areas. I tend to work with clients as an animal communicator today. The other thing, so I had those animals as mentors, but additionally, I had a friend who she was doing the same third eye practices that I was doing. And she'd also taken like some basic animal communication courses like I had. And we were inspired to be, to get together on a daily basis and kind of practice. It was Again, it was really just a fun project for us. And we ended up doing that for a year and a half. During that time, we really tried to let the animals direct our awareness to what the most important things that they thought that we should learn about animal communication really were. You know, since then, I've, I've definitely worked with more human animal communication mentors, and I definitely admire and respect um, what they've taught me and the things I've learned from them. I do feel like these abilities are becoming a bit more common, or at least people are talking about them more than they used to. I guess I've also kind of learned how to turn it on and off, you know. So it's like, okay, it's off. You know, it's sort of like shutting off a light. Like you can, you can tell, say, nope, I'm not ready to hear any communications now. And so it, it's not like I'm being constantly bombarded by information from the animals, which might be something that people might fear. Is like, oh, if I turn this on, I wouldn't ever be able to turn it off, and I'd have to hear all the pain and all the the stuff and the things that the animals want to tell me.
0: I have to ask, when you're communicating with them, what is that like? I mean, you don't, you're you not actually hearing language. You're not hearing words. Is it imagery? Is it feeling?
1: It's kind of evolved for me over time. So when I first started, I got a lot of visual messages. And this isn't true of all animals, certainly, but it does seem like a lot of animals are very visual in nature, that they will send visual images. So that's kind of where i started but then as one evolves and learns more it really becomes more of a multi-sensory experience where it, you know if an animal's telling me something hurts in their liver like i'll feel it kind of in, in my liver, like I'll, I'll have uh, sensations in my body. Uh, sometimes I get smells, I get taste. Sometimes I do hear words and they do kind of talk language. That doesn't happen all the time. But sometimes some animals very much do their clear audience where they can speak the language and they can go and they request that their humans speak to them with language and they can understand. Once you're more fluent in it, it becomes much more of a full body experience, really. So you might get the images, you might hear things, you'll feel sensations in your body, taste, smell, really. So it's like all five of the senses plus intuitional knowing.
0: But if more domestic animals are around humans, I would assume tend to have more language versus, say, a snake in a field or a feathered friend, like an eagle flying over. Do you ever communicate with animal, like more wildlife?
1: I have. Yes, actually I did a whole bunch of live streams during the pandemic. You know, I'm not sure that I noticed that domestic animals tend to use the verbal language necessarily more, but it does seem like there's a difference in the kind of consciousness that I was say awareness maybe. Yeah, awareness or consciousness that wild animals versus domestic animals kind of have. Some of the wild animals that I spoke to during those live streams, you know, they said, well, I've been a domestic animal in other lives. So it's not always that domestic animals have always been domestic animals or wild animals have always been wild animals. You know, I've even had some animals say, yeah, I've been a human before in a past life. And there seems to be
0: a belief that, that more people seem to be aware. Maybe it's just that they're more aware, but that people can develop such gifts. Do you think this kind of communication then can be taught in any individual?
1: Animal communication is really about learning how to read the energy in a different way. We're all sensitive to this, but to varying degrees. So here's an example of how energy m- might be considered our first language. Ariel, maybe you've had this experience where you walk into a room where there's just been some sort of verbal fight that's taken place. You walk in there, you immediately know that there's something not good going on. Yes. I call this telepathy. It's being able to kind of sense what's going on around us. And essentially that's what animal communication is. Parents tend to have these relationships with their kids where they just know. And that's another example of them reading the energy. Like there's no physical indication as to what's going on there necessarily, but they just know, you know, people who have pets have probably had things like this happen at home too, where say you're at home, you're either working or relaxing and you kind of get this little, I don't know, maybe like a tickle and you look over and your animal friend is staring at you. <laughs> or like, like sometimes people just get that feeling like I need to get up and do something and you get up and you walk to the back door and there's your dog standing there waiting for you to let her out. Totally. My belief that we all have the ability to learn and communicate with animals. And I feel like it's more about whether we're willing and able to take those action steps that we need to take in order to cultivate that ability Even learning sort of a basic level of animal communication can really help people develop a deeper, deeper relationship with your animal friends.
0: Are there any warning flags that you would caution people with when they start searching for someone who communicates with animals?
1: I know some, a lot of, some people use the word pet psychic. I think there's a lot of problems with the word psychic. And a lot of people believe that being psychic means you can foretell the future or, Just by looking at someone, you can tell how many siblings they have and all their back history and all that. I tend to not use the word psychic for these reasons, just because there's a lot of misunderstandings about what that really means. I tend to think of myself more as a translator or a mediator rather than a psychic when it comes to what I'm doing in the world of animal communication. When you're searching for an animal communicator, you might want to use the words animal communication, animal communicator, or one you'll hear a lot too is interspecies communicator. If a pet psychic is just using divination tools and not connecting directly with the animal, that might be a little bit of a red flag. I might encourage you to keep looking. One of the other things to keep in mind is there's no official certification process for becoming an animal communicator. There's a lot of options for how to study this But hopefully whomever you're looking at working with has something about their training or the process that they've been through on their website or or when you talk to them. I did put together an ebook that deals with some other questions that you might want to ask. It's called Everything You Need to Know About Animal Communication Before Hiring an Animal Communicator. It might be helpful for your listeners or anybody who wants to learn more about what they should ask or know about before hiring someone. Uh, At this point, it's a free ebook on my website.
0: Is there any schools or places that you would recommend if somebody wanted to start training as an animal communicator?
1: There are a lot of options. The teacher or mentor that I'm working with right now is Val Hart and her school is the Hart Animal Communication School. I would definitely recommend Val Hart's program. I've really gotten a lot out of working with her. So that might be a good place to start.
0: Is there any other parting messages you would like to leave with our audience?
1: If anything, I think I'd say that you're probably receiving messages from your animal friends already if you have them. And one of the keys to starting to learn animal communication for yourself is to acknowledge when those things happen, you know, like where you realize your dog is staring at you and, you know, these little things that happen and to not just toss those things away. Like if your dog sends you this message or sends you a picture of their water bowl, like maybe they really are sending you a message that they're trying to get through. It doesn't always start as this very fluent thing. You know, like you, like mm-hmm. I took several years of Spanish in, in high school and college, and you know, you start learning the little words here and there to start, and then it becomes a greater whole. So I guess I just encourage people to not discount
0: Well, I just want to thank you so much for your time and your energy today and giving us an inside view of your experience and what this is like and what it actually could be for many of us if we allowed ourselves to open up to be able to speak to our animals and be aware of wildlife and nature. And I just I can't thank you enough. This has been informative and fun. And
1: yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was so wonderful to speak with you about this.
0: This animal communication miniseries was a long time coming. So many of us who are animal lovers dread that day we will have to say goodbye to our beloved cats, dogs, horses, birds, guinea pigs. Our pets bring us so much joy and love that is unending. I myself have lost several dogs over the years, and each one holds a special place in my heart. I think the one thing I pull away from these conversations with these amazing women who have opened themselves up to receiving the information that comes through from the other side is this. Whether we are 2 leggeds or 4 leggeds life goes on. One thing that I learned as a young adult is while our time here on Earth is finite, our souls are infinite, and love finds itself again and again. In that sense, Believing that there is life after death, for me personally, is no longer a belief, but rather a knowing. These women have truly changed my life. While one should be careful when hiring an animal communicator to ensure that they'll receive accurate information, the healing that can occur receiving messages from loved ones, confirmation that they're okay and that we go on is priceless. It is also a skill we can develop. So to all you listeners out there, I encourage you to take heart in knowing your precious pets, your friends, your companions are always closer than you think. Thank you so much for listening to this special mini-series on deep spinach,
1: we hope you've enjoyed our conversation with animal communicator Tracy Pierce, the second in our two-part series on animal communication. You can find Tracy's course, newsletter, blog, and free ebook, "Everything You Need to Know About Animal Communication Before Hiring an Animal Communicator," on her website, tracy-pierce.com. You'll find links to her website and ebook in this episode's show notes. Deep spinach is a production of Javi Media on the web at javi-media.net. Javi Media.